everybody. What is going on? You know what time it is. You're listening to Join the Journey podcast with your host, Emma Daughter. Thanks for joining. Today, we're reading Genesis 5 through Genesis 6-8, and I want to answer one simple question. Why are genealogies, the long lists of crazy names, in the Bible? But before we dive in, I've got a couple reminders for you. It's not too late to grab a Join the Journey journal for this year. We'll put the Amazon link in the description, as journaling can be a great way to help avoid distractions while doing your Bible study. And secondly, it's Friday, which means today, the first episode of Join the Journey Junior is releasing, or has released. We'll put that link in the episode description as well. It would really help out all the families listening if you'd leave a review for Join the Journey Junior. Whenever you launch a podcast, it can be really challenging for your first few hundred listeners to find it. Leaving a review will help families be able to more easily search for Journey Junior. All that said, we'll put the link to the Adults Journal and the link to the Junior Podcast in this episode's description. So let's dive right in. Beginning in Genesis 5, why are genealogies in the Bible? To put my cards on the table, I'm just going to put it out there that I am a nerd. Back when I worked in college ministry, right out of college, right after graduating college myself, I became incredibly interested with the Old Testament. And more specifically, the Lord began to develop a deep passion in my heart to teach college students who'd grown up in the church their entire lives how to study the Bible and how to understand that all of the books fit together to form one big story. And as I prepared to teach and coach college students, I became really interested in genealogies. And the obstacle for many of us is that we begin to read the Old Testament and we come across passages like today's where we see long lists of crazy names and people who live to be hundreds of years old, and these passages seem to never end. So why are they here, and what do they mean for us, and how can we view them as approachable? How can we view them as valuable? The thing is, these passages are in the Bible for a reason, and they're for our benefit. Believe it or not, genealogies, they're for our benefit, and they aren't something to be skipped over. They aren't just for nerds like me. They're for all of us. The significance of genealogies is actually laid out for us right here at the beginning of today's chapter in Genesis 5. Beginning in verse 1, we read, This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God, male and female. He created them, and he blessed them, and he named them man. When they were created, when Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. Those are the first few verses. So why? Why do we need the book of the generations of Adam? These lists, these genealogies, they reveal God's character. Number one, he keeps his word. He's trustworthy. And number two, they remind us of God's promises. He doesn't forget them. They reveal God's character and remind us of God's promises. Genealogies, I'll say it again, reveal God's character and remind us of his promises. See, everything always goes back to Genesis chapters 1 through 3. God creates everything. He creates people in his image and he instructs them to be fruitful and multiply. But then you fast forward just a little bit and you get to Genesis 3. Sin sin enters the picture and everything's messed up. But in Genesis 3.15, there's a promise. One day, a child born of a woman will defeat the serpent, the evil one. And so now, as humanity's begun to multiply, we, as we read the scriptures, are looking for that victorious child. 
So we keep reading, and we get to Genesis 4. Adam and Eve, they've got two kids, Cain and Abel. Might one of them be the victorious child who will triumph over the evil one? Well, if I had to guess, if I was mom and dad, I would have guessed Abel would be the victorious child, but Cain killed him. So we're still on the lookout. But the good news is that Adam and Eve had another son named Seth. And ultimately, like cats out of the bag, the victorious child that's mentioned in Genesis 3 will come from Seth's line as opposed to Cain's. And in Genesis 5, we start to get a list of Seth's descendants. And one commentator says this about Genesis 5.1. A new section of the book begins here, having the dual purpose of linking the history of the early people to the story of Noah and of showing the continuing effect of sin on the race, on humankind. The genealogy in this chapter is a quote-unquote vertical list tracing the line from Adam through Seth to Noah. The genealogy of Cain in chapter 4 had seven generations. This list now has ten names from Adam to Noah. Both lists, though, end with three sons being named as coming from the last person on the list, Jabal, Jubal, and Tubal-Cain in chapter 4, and Shem, Ham, and Japheth in chapter 5. In each list, there's a quotation from only one man. Lamech, back in chapter 4, with a taunt song, and a different Lamech in the Sethite list in chapter 5, with a lament over the effects of the curse and a desire for comfort through his son Noah. The text of Genesis is showing that their outlooks, those in chapter 4 and those in chapter 5, their outlooks on life differ greatly, he concludes. By comparing and contrasting the two genealogies, that of Cain in chapter 4 and that of Seth in chapter 5, we learn something about these two families, one who did not trust in God and one who did. Take a look yourself and try to trace the differences. Now, practically speaking, though, reading through genealogies can be very difficult. Here's what I do. Whenever I come across a long list of names, I resist the tendency to just skim over it and jump to whoever's last on the list. Instead, I get out a pen and I put a box around each name the first time it appears. That's very important. Don't box the same name multiple times. The first time you come across a new name in the passage, put a box around it. Then, I take the names I've boxed and I make a list. In Genesis 5, that list looks like God, Adam, Seth, Enosh, Kenan, Mahalalel, I think that's how you pronounce it, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, Noah, and then Ham, Shem, and Japheth, the three sons, all go on the same line. Then, once I've got my vertical list, I mean, literally, I write the names in a list like they're on my grocery list or something, I look back at the text, again, more carefully, and see if I learn anything about each of these people. God created man in his image, verse 1, and he created two genders. Adam, at 130 years old, had Seth, who resembled his image and likeness. Seth, at 105 years old, had Enosh, and he also had other sons and daughters who aren't listed here. So we see humanity multiplying. Then I'll let you go back and, and look at some of the next ones yourselves. So jumping down, Enosh, Kenan, Mahalalel, Jared, Enoch, he walked with God, and then he was not, for God took him. That's verse 24. There's something hidden in this list for us, I'm sure, because the closeness with which Enoch walked with God is uniquely highlighted. 
And for each name on that list, you could go back and learn something from each person. I'm confident of it. And in regard to this list of names in particular, one commentator says the chapter begins by reiterating the creation of man as the likeness, the synonym for image, of God. Remember, that's Genesis 1. Also repeated is the mention of the blessing of God at creation, the image of God was passed on seminally to the descendants for the text states that Adam begot Seth in his image. In other words, the spiritual and intellectual capacities that God had given to the parents are passed from generation to generation by natural reproduction. The genealogy, let me say that again, actually. In other words, the spiritual and intellectual capacities that God had given to the parents are passed from generation to generation. The genealogy may begin with the reminder of the blessing of God, but it quickly proceeds to show how everyone died as a result of sin, with one notable exception, Enoch. The rest of the chapter constantly repeats the depressing refrain, and he died. Indeed, the genealogy answers a question raised by the last section in chapter 4. If in spite of sin, there is progress, civilization, and prosperity in the world— What happened to the curse? And the answer is clear. People die. If any were to doubt the word of the Lord that said you are sure to die, or the words of the apostle that the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23, they need only look at human history. All sin and all die. The commentator continues, the exception of Enoch is a bright spot in the list, like the reminder of God's image in verses 1 and 2. In the other panels of the genealogy, the literary pattern is that a man lived a number of years and had a son, and after he had the son, he lived a number of years and had other children. Then the years of his life are added up, and his death is reported. But the record of Enoch breaks this pattern in not one, but two places. The text doesn't say that after Enoch had his son, he lived, although of course he did live. Rather, it says that he walked with God a walk that lasted 300 years. To walk with God is to live a life of obedience and fellowship with God. There's a difference then between just living with God and walking with God. It is this latter lifestyle of perfect harmony with the Lord that was required of Israel. The commentator continues as, the second break in the pattern is that Enoch did not die. His walk with God would have continued longer if it were not for the fact that God took him. So, not only did he not merely live in the place of this, the text says he walked with God, he also did not die, for God took him. This little panel, then, tells us that death's authority is not absolute. It can be overruled by God, he concludes. Genealogies are deep wells that shouldn't be skipped over. They reveal God's character and remind us of God's promises. I'll say that again. Genealogies reveal God's character and remind us of his promises. Don't skip them. If you skimmed through today's passage, I'd encourage you to find some time to go back. Read it carefully. Read it slowly. What do you learn about God's character and how can you see him keeping his promises? That's all we've got time for today. But as always, I'm so glad we're all on this journey reading the Bible together. 
Hey, we want to thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed the episode. Did you know that you can help support Join the Journey by rating and reviewing this podcast? And if you're willing, we'd love it if you subscribe because the more you download, the easier it will be for new friends to find the podcast.